Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals podcast. Today, we're going to learn something new and interesting in the world of Americana, Roots, and folk music. But before we get to that, I just want to say a quick reminder to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And if you're on social media, give me a follow if you haven't already. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Just search up the name of the show and you'll find me there. All right, let's get to today's episode. Today, I had a great conversation with one of the main musicians from what's called the Red Dirt scene. If you're not familiar with this, it's a scene of music. It's kind of a, kind of a subculture of uh, American country music that includes a lot of artists from Oklahoma and Texas. And I spoke to um, uh, one of the main musicians from that scene named uh, Cody Canada. Now, he, he drops a lot of names in this episode, people who are kind of integral to that whole scene of music. Uh, but I just thought it was super fascinating. And it's a, a kind of a subculture of Americana country folk music that I haven't really explored yet. And uh, to be honest, um, you know, I haven't um, played a lot on my radio show. haven't talked to a ton of these artists. And it's something that I'm going to be doing more of in the future. So look for more episodes on this topic. Um, as I explore this, it's a great scene with really interesting people who are great songwriters, and there's a whole amazing uh, thing happening there. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Cody Canada. I hope you dig it. Fantastic. All right. Well, yeah, I wanted to, to um, uh, get your perspective on the Oklahoma music scene that's sometimes called uh, the Red Dirt scene. You've been involved in that for 30 years now and have accomplished a ton of incredible stuff. So um, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your involvement in that music scene and, and uh, maybe speak to um, uh, what it is and, and uh, what it means to you. You know, I stumbled upon it when I was 16. I, um, I went to see a Chris Ledoux concert in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and there was this band that opened that just blew my doors off, and it was like nothing I'd ever really heard before. And they were the Great Divide, and uh, come to be the lead singer, came to be my producer for, well, for my entire career. And, um, man, I was 16 years old, and I uh, my whole world was opened up to something completely different. You know, it was folk, and it was country, and it was rock, and but the the one thing about it was it was no competition. And that was my favorite part. You know, it was everybody pulling for each other and everybody. I remember watching people sing other people's songs to the person that wrote the song. You know, and I thought that was always such a ballsy move. But confidence, you know, confidence in a scene and everybody working together. And I, uh, I never I never went home. I, I left the Yukon, Oklahoma and went to Stillwater and. Started doing the couch circuit and uh, learning as I went. And I met Stoney LaRue and Jason Bolin and and all the guys that are from that scene. You know, we were all the same age. So it was we were all really setting forth on a journey together. And uh, we're still we're still in the middle of that. I hopefully we're in the middle of that journey right now, but we're still we're still doing it. Um, I, I went up there because, you know, it wasn't a competition and everybody was pulling for each other. And I asked the guy, an elder, you know, why they called it the red dirt scene. And he he was so proud that I asked him that question. He said, uh, the music's as pure as the dirt is red. And I always thought that was really awesome. Hmm. I like that. That's fantastic. So when when did you get started in that? Was that like mid-90s when you were getting started? Yeah, I, um, God, I was, see, it was 90. 94 when I went up there and I, uh, man, I didn't leave until 2000, you know, and I, that's when I, I got married and I met 
my wife up there and I got married and we moved to South Texas. So yeah, it was, it was about mid nineties. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. I was, I was really into Chris Ledoux in that time as well. He was putting out some good stuff in that, um, in, in the nineties there. I love that stuff. He was very, very welcome at, there's a place called the tumbleweed in Stillwater, just a big outdoor country bar. Um, right at the same time that I started playing the, the local bar there, the wormy dog saloon, the Ledoux boys and their dad's clan uh, came into the bar one night and man, we hit it off and uh, we're still friends to this day. You know, I saw them uh, last summer, you know, so 30 years later, we're still pals and they were always chugging for us and us for them. Yeah. Is it uh, um, Ned Ledoux? Is that um, his son that's still playing music and touring? Yep. I do a show with Ned every year up in Idaho. Okay. And I run into Clay his brother Clay, uh, last summer, well, actually the whole family last summer, I, I played the Chris Ledoux days and, um, man, they're just wonderful people, you know, they've always been in my corner and I've always been in theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see him perform out at the, uh, national cowboy poetry gathering in Elko, Nevada, and, uh, got to, to chat with him a little bit, but, um, a great guy and uh, great stories about his dad and, um, great songwriter. He, he was, it was really yes, cool to see him. Yeah. All that. For sure. Well, um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in um, uh, the uh, the album that you released, uh, Soul Gravy. You did a re-release of that um, uh, last year, and um, it was a really important album to your career. And I was just interested in why um, uh, you decided to do a re-release, and um, if you could just maybe talk about uh, that album and uh, what, what it did for you. I did the re-release because I wasn't necessarily happy with what we did with Ragweed. Um, now, once that record came out, we sold a bunch of records and it was number five or number six on, on billboard for a bit. Now that's great. And that that's awesome that it did that. But when the recording process, I was on the road 260 days that year and about 230 of those, we actually played the rest were just drive days. But when we got into the studio, we were so beat and, um, the first song that we recorded was Lonely Girl, and you could tell how tired we were. And I, um, right after our producer woke us up, he said, hey, I think we should start over again tomorrow. So we started over, and we didn't use amplifiers. We used, like, digital pods. Um, I wasn't real happy with that, but I had to get – the record label realized that we were the kind of band – that we could go in and get something done and then hit the road again. So, you know, it's kind of dirty to admit it, but, you know, they, they knew that we were, we were all about hitting the highway and playing music. So that was money, money, money for them. So we just, uh, we put it out and there was a couple of things on there. I didn't really like, um, you could tell that it wasn't an actual tube amp that I was playing. Only one person in the media when he did a review uh, called me out on it. <laughs> But it still kind of bugged me, and I let it uh I let it sit for a lot of years, and then I um I wanted to to get the box set that Universal South did a box set called the Box of Weed, and I called them and they said that I had to pay twenty or thirty five dollars a piece for that box set. So here I am now trying to buy my own music so I can resell it and. I didn't realize that, you know, that's kind of a normal thing, but it shouldn't be a normal thing. 
And then the exact same thing happened to Taylor Swift, same record label and everything. And I, when she re-recorded and they didn't come after her, I thought that I can do this. They're not going to come after me if they're not going after her. So I get to record them the way I wanted to. Uh, I have a studio of my own now. So we did our, we just took our time and we used really big amplifiers and we used up all the space in the room. And I got my, my two kids, the 17 and 15, I got the boys to play on the record and I got some, some of the people that I co-wrote the songs with to sing on it. And so it, it really became, you know, I know it's a cliche saying, but it really became a labor of love for me to, to redo this thing. Right. That's pretty cool. How many, I'm, I'm now, I, I know a number of, uh, of those, um, uh, singers and songwriters from that scene, but um, I'm I'm familiar familiar with like record labels and um, you know if there's any like indie labels that are are connected to that whole scene that you're connected to are 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 there any big um uh, uh, uh you know like kind of regional record labels that um that are part of that whole Texas Oklahoma thing that's going on? I think there used to be. I, I don't think there is anymore. I mean, anymore, you know, if you just hell anymore, if you just put something out on YouTube. You know, or TikTok, I guess, even. I guess that's a new. I'm, I'm so behind the times. I'm still on YouTube. You could, um, now it's just it, with TikTok, you can get something done. Um, you know, I have a friend, Coetzel, who is doing this without a label and he's murdering it. You know, he's, and he's selling out stadiums everywhere he goes, all over the country, you know, and I just don't think you really need a record label anymore. I, it does help. I know that, you know, I, I, I always said that people always thought that I was so irritated with the record label, but, you know, for five records, they were great. On that last record, they weren't that great because they switched hands. They switched, they switched, the, they fired everybody that, that liked us. So then we just became kind of the stepchildren in the background. So, I mean, honestly, I, I don't even know if there's record labels anymore. I hear people signing management deals, which that makes more sense than a record deal, because if you have enough people that like your music on the social platform, then you don't really need anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Social media has definitely changed the game on all that. I, th I think Zach Bryan is on a, a major label now, um, but uh, he's one of those those interesting examples from YouTube and TikTok who's uh, ended up making a name for himself. Um, I think that's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's crazy how it's crazy how much the the industry's changed. You know, I've I've been going back and forth on whether if I should do a whole record, if I should do a single. And some people tell me a whole record and some people tell me a single. I have one guy tell me if you're selling 3 million records, then make a record. If you're, if you're just, you know, selling just a few hundred records and just do singles. So I, man, I don't know. So at this point I'm just piling up songs in the studio. Whenever they say it's a record, it's record time go, then I'll release them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think a lot of uh, musicians are, are um, at least the ones I, I, I talk to, seem a little confused about everything. And, and at the end of the day, really like playing in front of people and um, uh, playing live music. And uh, I think that's a, a frustration for a lot of people out there. Live's where it's at for me. It always has been. I mean, since, mm -hmm. since the very first day, it's always been about the live aspect of it. You know, I love doing records. I love to see what we can do in a studio. I love the the experimenting with different instruments and stuff like that. But in, in the end, it really does come down to, to the live performance.
for sure. Well, speaking of that, you got an up upcoming tour um, that's going to be happening uh, here called the Acoustic Healing Tour. And uh, I was interested if you could just maybe talk a little bit about that and uh, what's going to be going on with that tour. I used to do it a long time ago, I, I, I and it was always with somebody different. Um, I'm the kind of guy that likes to have a companion. I like to have somebody playing music with, somebody to bounce songs off of and jokes and leads off of. And um, I did it years ago with my friend Jason Bowen and Stoney LaRue and Wade Bowen. And um, I've been wanting to go back up with the Braun boys, you know, Reckless Kelly and Mickey and the Motor Cars. And the Braun family has been just some of my favorite people in this industry. I named my my youngest boy Willie after Willie Braun from Reckless Kelly. Um, so I wanted to get out of Texas for a minute, uh, especially in the summertime. And um, I asked the Braun boys if they would go with me. I told them I needed to change the pace. It's really hard for me to write music on the road as a full band because, you know, we're still enjoying the nightlife and everything on the road. And I just, it gets to the point where it's hard for me to write on the road. Uh, but when it's acoustic, you know, there's so much downtime. You don't have to worry about sound checks. You don't have to worry about anything, but just showing up and playing. So I wanted to do that. And I've always called it acoustic healing because I always, uh, this is so stupid, but back in the ragweed days, you know, we go out on the road full band. I feel like I got my ass kicked because we partied so much. So that's where the acoustic healing thing came from. It's like, I want to go do an acoustic run so I can heal myself. But, uh, Mickey and I wrote one song together. We have big plans on writing another one together, um, or maybe maybe two or three. And then um, I got about a, about a month of full band stuff after that run that I'm going to pick up with um, Willie Braun, their brother, mm-hmm. and uh, go to the other coast. Nice. So are you are going to be you're going to be doing the whole U.S. on that one? Yeah, that's what I'm aiming for. Fantastic. Do you know if you're coming through uh, Northern Nevada at all on that one? No, uh, Willie and I are coming through uh, California. That's I, that's all I know as of now. I don't. We haven't had anything else yet. Okay. Yeah, it happens a lot. There's um, uh, people come down the coast, you know, like Seattle down to L.A. and uh, don't don't come mm-hmm. over the hill to Reno uh, very much. That's that's where I am. I'm just south of Reno, um, so I'm always okay. always hoping for for <laughs> people coming to Reno, but it doesn't happen as much <laughs> as I hope. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not real sure. They our booking agency also just. Went through a major facelift, so I, right now we kind of been in a kind of in a blackout phase as they readjust. They got bought by William Morris Booking Agency, so gotcha. Yeah, speaking of that, um, have you um, has has your band played in Reno very much? You guys come through the, the the area over the years. I played there with Reckless Kelly and Mickey and the Motor Cars. Okay. Um, God, when, I, I'd say probably ten years ago. Okay. Gotcha. But I, I honestly I can't remember the name of the place that we played. It's been so long ago. But we used to do this thing called the Livers of Steel tour, hmm. <laughs> and like that, that was uh, that was one of our stops. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, uh, you and your wife, you mentioned this before too, but you and your wife have um, the uh, uh, School of Rock going, and uh, I'd love to hear about how that got started and uh, what you guys are doing with that. We start. So my wife has. Her and I've been married 25 years, and we've been doing my music for all those years. And then she was a manager for a lot of bands for 20 years. And one day she just hit a wall and said, I'm done. I uh, I love my friends and I love this business, but she goes, I want to focus on 
my kids' music and my husband's music. And also, she needed to change the pace. You know, it was, you know, every Monday she'd have to call a, a hotel or a venue and say, sorry about my artist for doing this and that. And she just got kind of tired of that. And at, at the same time, she lost her her aunt who, was, who had fostered like 35 kids, 36 kids. So she really wanted to carry on her legacy and take care of kids in need. And uh, we reached out to School of Rock, and it took us took us a couple of years to talk them into it. And then we finally landed it and um, opened it up five years ago. Eight, this last April was five years ago. And um, I think now we're looking at 150 kids. And we've taken them to Summerfest in Chicago and Wisconsin and took, took them to Portugal last summer and Spain and um, going back to Summerfest again this year. And, and it's really awesome, you know, because I, I didn't have anything like that when I was growing up. I I just had my friends that, you know, I'd talk into learning a few chords so I could bounce some leads off of. And luckily, uh, my bass player, Jeremy, and I have been together since the beginning. But he was the dude that I, I learned how to play music from, you know. And with the School of Rock, you can play – basically what you do is – if you're nine years old and you get put in a class with other nine-year-old kids and you just sit there and learn how to play together, you know? So, I mean, that's God, that's such a, a good learning experience for those kids. Um, now probably going to be in it for another five or 10 years. You know, I don't, we've talked about expanding and putting one up in uh, Waco. We talked about putting one in Austin, which there already is one in Austin, but we talked about doing another one. But to be honest with you, it's so fun just keeping it small and like kind of on the outskirts of the franchise. We're, we're probably just going to hang where we're at and uh, probably do it for another five to 10 years. And then hell five to 10 years from now, probably retired, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you were um, both your kids um, involved in that. Yep. They're both in it. Um, Dirks who is 17 he start he he started um he really you know my wife always says it's really because of him and she's she's partially right um when he was younger you know he didn't really want to learn from me he wants to learn anything from her dad right um we got a good relationship it was just sometimes you know it was like me trying to show him how to play something was me telling him what to do and then I learned, and I, you know, I got my, my feelings hurt about that, but I learned from a lot of people that that is very normal. Um, so then about a year into it, his brother was old enough to, to join a house band. And now they're, they're both in a band together. They're playing, they're calling it punk. Um, they're calling it metalcore, but it's pretty pop punk to me. But I don't know. There's so many labels, you know, I mean, I told them when I was, with Universal South, I was labeled as a country band for years, and then we put out a record that was a little heavier, and they labeled us rock, and then we kind of got lost in the mix. So I told them, just advertise, your, advertise yourself as a rock band. Yeah. Leave it at that. <laughs> Keep it pretty broad, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, Steve Earle and Lucinda Williams both talked about how um, labels always um, said they were, they were too country for rock and too rock for country. And uh, that's the yeah. kind of music I've always been into, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that, I always use them as an example, too. I always tell the kids the same thing. You know, when when I went to look for the Exit Zero record or Exit O, whichever, depends on what part of the country you're from. Uh, when I went to look for the Exit O record, you know, I couldn't find it in country. 
but I found it in Steve Earle rock and roll. You know, that was the only record in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny how that works out. Have you, uh, it's funny you brought up metalcore and the punk thing. Um, are you familiar with the, um, the newer band, uh, turnstile? Have you seen those guys? I don't think I've seen them. Uh, you might ask your kids about it. If they're into that scene, they're, they're probably into turnstile. Um, one of those interesting bands where you, where you hear it, it's like, it, it, it is, it, it's kind of punk and it's kind of metal at the same time. And, uh, young, mm-hmm. young people are super into it. And it's just like they're, when you watch the YouTube videos, these young kids are coming up on stage and, and, and stage diving and just going crazy the whole time. And it's just like, as an old dude, I'm watching this, I'm like, Oh, it's so cool to see punk, like <laughs> punk again, you know? And it's, it's kind of an exciting yeah. band, you know? I'll ask them what's going to happen is I'm going to ask them about them and they're going to say, we've already told you about it. And I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> most likely. And Dirk Aldis wants me to take him to Austin on Monday to see some Japanese metal band, and like, like Japanese metal. Okay, I, I mean, I guess I'm in. I don't really know what that means, but I'll hell yeah, I'll take you. You know, so we'll see what. I don't even know what the name is, but we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Yeah, I bet it'll be fun. Japan. Yeah, it'd be a good time. It'd be a good bonding moment, anyway. For sure. Well, um, do you got any uh, new projects coming up? Any new um, album songs you're releasing? Uh, what, what's coming up for you in the other than the tour? What's coming up for you in the next uh, few months of the year? I'm going. I'm going to, you know, let. I'm probably going to do one more single after this next. This this last. Ah, one more single after this latest one off Soul Gravy, and then I'm still in the studio. Um, I have one song called L E L L E that cocked and loaded it's ready it's mixed and mastered and and artwork's done and it's ready to go so you know if it's late fall i'll be ready to go um i've got probably five or six songs done in the studio and five or six i need to finish um until somebody says otherwise i'm probably just going to keep putting out singles and just um maybe eventually put it all on one vinyl record you know i mean there's no there's no point in packaging cds anymore so really just touring and and putting out singles about the only thing i got planned i um there's really never any vacation time for us it's always if we have any vacation time it's one one week off while somebody has to go somewhere and do something with their some band member needs to go do something with their family so really kind of the same old thing just um keep on chugging and putting out new new music yeah is all the stuff that you're putting out, is that all recorded at your uh, your home studio? Yeah. Yeah, we built it back in 2020. Um, we have, we've had this warehouse. I bought it with ragweed back in the day. And we had this big plan. We were going to build the studio, and it has room for, for bus repair and all that. And basically what happened is it turned into just a junk room, a big, giant, 5,000-square-foot room of junk. And um, – once ragweed split and we got all, I mean, that was such a nasty, a nasty divorce. You know, we got everybody's stuff out of there and then it kind of just sat there. And my wife just had her, her, um, management company 2020 popped up. We got shut down. She didn't believe me that we weren't going anywhere for a while. She's like, Oh, this is nothing. She wasn't like a non-believer, a non-COVID person, you know, or COVID denier, but she just, I think she was a little worried, kind of scared in denial. So I recorded a song on my bus 
uh, put the, the amp in the very, very back of the bus. And then I recorded the vocals in the bathroom at the office. And then it ended up costing me $200 and it got played in 40 countries. And that's when she said, oh, well, this is worth it. So we built my, the, the lucky side is my, my best friend's a contractor. So he came in and built me a studio. Um, the room was already there. Just had to foam it, box it. And um, I've been recording everything out of there. You know, uh, I've had the opportunity to go out and record at Dave Grohl's studio. And the offer's still there to go out and do a whole record. But honestly, that would be really badass to go out there and say I did that in Los Angeles. But mm. it's also more awesome than I can just drive 10 minutes from my house and do it, you know. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I totally understand that. All right. Well, if people want to know uh, more about you, find uh, merch and um, find your records and, and all that kind of stuff. What's the best place to look for you online? The, the departedmusic.com. That's where all the merch and everything is. And um, I do believe Cody Canada and the parted Facebook is going still going. Um, I got off Facebook a while back. Um, but I think my wife has my Instagram hooked up to uh, Facebook. So I'm on there about once a day talking about what's happening, what's coming up. Cool. Cool. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And um, yeah, yes, just, sir. Thank you. I, I think you got a, a lot going and looking forward to hearing what uh, what's coming out in the future. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Have a good one. Hi, right, buddy. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder to follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this. Leave a rating and tell a friend. Also, big thanks to Charlie Marks for providing the music for the show. Until next time, everybody. Have a good one.